0: Vladimir Putin says he is a religious man, a great supporter of the Russian Orthodox Church. If so, he may well go to bed each night, say his prayers, and ask God, Why didn't you put some mountains in Ukraine? If God had built mountains in Ukraine, then the great expanse of flatland that is the North European plain would not be such encouraging territory from which to attack Russia repeatedly. As it is, Putin has no choice he must at least attempt to control the flat lands to the west. So it is with all nations, big or small. The landscape imprisons their leaders, giving them fewer choices and less room to maneuver than you might think. This was true of the Athenian Empire, the Persians, the Babylonians, and before it was true of every leader seeking high ground from which to protect their tribe. That's how... The book, Prisoners of Geography, 10 Maps That Explain Everything About the World, by Tim Marshall, opens up. This was an excellent book. Marshall explains a lot of geography in a clear way. He points out where countries are, why countries are the way they are, and why certain boundaries are the way they are. I actually tweeted a picture of this book cover a few weeks ago, and it got a huge response from people, people like even Mark Andreessen favorited the picture, because the caption I had on it was that, I wish school books were as engaging and interesting and explanative as this book was. It was wonderful. It was a great book. I very much enjoyed it. And today's podcast, we're going to look at just a few of the lessons I learned from prisoners of geography. Ready? One. Context matters. The entire book is built around this. The context, in this case geography, matters to how things are the way they are, why things are one way and not another way. Marshall writes, quote, The land on which we live has always shaped us, end quote. I hadn't considered the land as as uh, guiding context, a guiding principle to a situation, until I read Marshall's book. And now I'm, now I'm actively seeking this out as a model that explains certain things. But I've always kept in mind that context matters. And this really hit home with two other books I recently finished. In-N-Out Burger by Stacy Perlman and Grinding It Out, The Making of McDonald's by Ray Kroc. Both of these books center on the development of these two fast food chains, In-N-Out and McDonald's in the 1940s and 50s and 60s and 70s. And both the books do a good job of demonstrating that these fast food places, these burger drive through places, only existed for certain reasons. There were different situations that led to their growth. In the same way that a nation exists, based on the rivers that are within it, the ports that are around it, and the mountain ranges that rise above it, businesses develop in a certain context, too. Businesses also have a geography. So when burgers became a thing that you went to a restaurant for and that you got in a paper sack and you ate them along with fries, there were many things that led to that. One was the end of World War II. The end of World War II was also a time when United States manufacturers had a certain capacity but not demand for things. That excess capacity was filled by the production of automobiles. As more automobiles were made, people started getting their automobiles and handing them down. Another theme of things that I've been thinking about is how the cell phone is similar to the automobile, in that children get hand-me-down cell phones in the same way that in the 50s and 60s, children got hand-me-down vehicles. They tricked out those hand-me-down vehicles. They fixed them up. We have the hot rod culture. Post-World War II, we also have women have entered the workforce, and they're not ready to leave, or they don't want to leave, or they don't think they can leave. So we have less of the traditional, the male stays at work and the woman stays home to cook. So we have people that need to eat. We have the expanding interstate system. We have this car culture that develops. And as people drive around, they also are going to eat. They're going to drive to places, and some of those places are attractions, like McDonald's and In-N-Out. So context really matters. The environment around a person or around a business or around an organization can affect how that business or person or organization grows and changes. This applies to the personal world that you exist in too. Is social media easy to consume in your life? It's if it's easy to consume you're probably going to consume more of it. It's the same for personal productivity. If you can create a system that allows you to do more of the things you want to do and do less of the things you don't want to do, you'll probably have a better productivity, hygiene. So everything around the situation influences the person that's within that situation. And geography is just another instance of that. Two. Another conclusion I had after finishing the book is that countries are very similar to relationships in that the government of a country is one party and the population of the country is another party in the same way that I am one party and my spouse is another party. And countries maintain their situation in the same way that marriages do. There's there's really three things that each each party needs. One. Can you provide for the other person? And for countries, this means, can you provide energy for the other person? Can you provide what they need to survive? Can you provide food for the other person? For example, a big part of the book about China is that China is building up its navy because it realizes that it needs its ports to remain open for Chinese production and consumption of goods, especially for importation of energy from places like Russia. So China's navy is building up because it's part of what that country needs to provide to its population. The second thing is, can you protect? The British navy exists to protect the British people. The French French nuclear program exists to protect the French people. Russia has never been invaded because you need incredibly long supply lines to invade Russia. So countries also need to be able to protect the population. The third thing that a country needs to succeed, is that can you respect the people? Can, if, you, if you're leading a government, do you respect the people of the North as much as you respect the people of the South? Do you have the right cultural attitudes toward the people within your country? Many of the Middle East countries were the effect of European line drawing, writes Tim Marshall. And so what we have here is we have some groups of people leading other groups of people that they don't respect. In some cases, the religious animosity is so strong that they want to kill those members of their own country. So countries are very similar to marriages, looking for someone to provide for you, someone to protect you, and someone to respect you. And if you can get those things right, you'll have a successful relationship, whether it's a marriage or a leadership of a country. One of my favorite podcasts is Dan Carlin's podcast, Hardcore History. Carlin goes just deep, deep, deep into the weeds on a plethora of subjects. And his most recent episode was about the Cuban Missile Crisis, but he started way before the Cuban Missile Crisis to explain the context and the situation that led up to that. And At the start of that episode, Carlin says that he wanted to talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis, so he he looked into the decade preceding that, and the things in that decade. He had to look another decade preceding that, and he had to go back and back and back and back in time. And eventually, he was he he was like, you know, I gotta I gotta start somewhere. You know, I could I could go back until the beginning of time, until at the time when you know man started walking, and and tell a coherent story to explain these things. But you gotta start somewhere, and. This book was a nice example of how landscape is a good place to start from. Once you can understand the geographical constraints of a country or a place, you can start to understand why certain things uh, became the way they did. So France, for example, Marshall writes, is a wonderful country. It has farmland. It has some decent rivers. It has some natural boundaries as well to protect it we can contrast France with, with its neighbor Spain. And Spain has much less fertile farm ground. It has more mountainous regions that it's harder to grow crops on. But Spain also has um, a better opportunity to explore uh, what ultimately became North America. So we have these two countries where the geography is different, and we have the different exploration. And if we hop to another book, Nile Ferguson's Civilization, we can see that the Spanish effects of coming to what was becoming Latin in South America, had uh, further effects. This is what Ferguson writes, Quote, British colonization generally produced better economic results than Spanish or Portuguese, wherever it was tried. There is no perfect test for this proposition, since no two colonies were exactly alike, but Arizona is richer than Mexico, and Hong Kong is richer than Manila. So perhaps... British colonization of Mexico and Peru would have had better long-run results than Spanish, ultimately producing some kind of United States of Central and South America. And perhaps Spanish colonization of North America would have left that region both relatively impoverished and divided into quarrelsome republics, multiple nation-states like Colombia, rather than a single district of Colombia, as the seat of a federal government. End quote. Ferguson makes a couple of claims in the book, and it's that the... British system of exploration allowed more land ownership and allowed for more retainment of property than spanish exploration did he also writes that there was a certain resource curse in the spanish exploration because if they found gold or other natural resources that gold got sent back to spain for the people who had sponsored some of the missions and maybe some of the british explorations didn't have the same resource curse to deal with so we have a different situation for the different countries that discover different lands and and this comes back to the geography of the country of the people who left. If, if Spain had more op- opportunities for people to own land and farm that land and grow, then maybe we could have expected a different set of outcomes as they explored other parts of the world and made different discoveries. While there's no perfect place to start a story, geography provides us an opportunity to start from there. Four. Four. Africa definitely got the hardest hand to play. Africa has great beaches, martial rights, but no natural harbors. There's great rivers, but they're uh, spotted with waterfalls. It's isolated thanks to the desert in the north and the oceans uh, around the southern part of it. Africa is really big, too. It doesn't show up on the map, but it's three times the size of the United States, and it's 14 times the size of Greenland. Africa is a continent with a lot of trouble, especially in the in the south, and part of the reason is because of isolation. Africa didn't get to trade in the same way that other countries did. Africa didn't get the importation of ideas that other countries did. Marshall makes the point that thanks to engineering development and the development of deep water ports on the coasts and air travel, that some of these things may be changing, but overall it's a continent that really had the deck stacked against it. It had the hardest hand to play out of all of the different geographies in the book. An isolation of ideas and a lack of communication can be a real hindrance. This is a case that Tyler Cowen makes in his latest book, The Complacent Class. Cowen is explaining that People are more complacent nowadays, and they're more self-segregating nowadays, and the reason is is because people are trying to hold on to the things they have. They don't want to be disruptive for a positive outcome or even a, a negative outcome. They especially don't want a negative outcome, and people are willing to risk no disruption for getting something positive or getting something negative. And and a lot of Africa kind of reminded me of that. Africa is naturally segregated. It's hard to trade with and get into that country, or it was for the longest time. And maybe things are changing now, but it really stood out in the book how difficult it's been. Five. If there's a villain in this book, it is the European line drawers. And it's it's not necessarily the fault of the Europeans, but, but the, the ages of conquest and dividing people and drawing lines on the map has led to a lot of the modern problems. It, those artificial barriers, those creating lines where lines had never existed before has been the source of many problems in the Middle East, and some of the problems in Central America, and even some of the problems in in Korea, with the line that divides North and South Korea. So, making the mistake of drawing lines on the map was a a big problem that the people who did it didn't realize it. They thought it was fine, but looking into the future, looking at the time that we live in now, those random line drawings were, were just a complete disaster. That reminds me of something Grant Oliphant said on the Going Deep with Aaron Watson podcast. And Oliphant is, is the director of the Heinz Foundation in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So he, he allocates money for one of the larger foundations, um, at least in Pennsylvania, maybe even the United States. And Oliphant says that they have a rule that, that says nothing nothing about me without me. So his foundation tries to really work with the people on the ground, work with the people they're trying to serve to see what their problems are and see how they want problems solved. What are the solutions that would help them the most? This relates to the business axiom that you always need to talk to your customers. You need to communicate with people who you're serving so you can find out what you need to do to serve them. The antithesis of this is just drawing lines on the map. <laughs> Marshall does an excellent job of explaining the... the the mistakes and the stupidity behind these mistakes of just drawing these lines that have led to so many problems in the future, where you have one religious group that hates another religious group, but you have them piled in the same country like clowns in a clown car, but 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 only two of those clowns can't stand each other and are going to get in a knife fight in the middle of the circus. And that's the effect of what some of these line drawings have had. It was a huge mistake. So, Whenever you're trying to help someone, whenever you're trying to get involved in someone else's life, think of what Oliphant advises, nothing about me without me. If some of the line drawers of old would have had that advice, we would have definitely be living in a different world now. 6. There were a lot of domino-like international relationships where if the first domino was to fall, it would knock down the second domino and so forth and so forth and so forth and so on. And Marshall makes the case in the book that there's a lot of relationships that are still like this. They're pretty fragile where if one country wants to dam up a river, that's going to be a problem because while it may provide hydroelectric power for them, it's going to cut off Maybe someone else's dam, or how someone else gets their crops watered, or any number of reasons further down the river. And if country A does that, country B has to respond, and country B responds, and then country A's allies respond, and then country B's allies respond. It reminds me very much of how World War I became a world war rather than uh, a hyper-localized event. It brings up the adage that you can't just do one thing. This is true of any system, especially complicated dynamic systems. You can't just replace something, you can't take something out and expect everything else is going to uh, work the way it did. There's a lot of relationships. There's a lot of unseen relationships. There's a lot of asymmetrical relationships where if you just change one little thing, you're going to you're going to blow out the scope of an entirely different variable. This was Never more present than in the section on Latin America. Marshall writes that uh, the war on drugs in Colombia shifted production and distribution to Mexico. So what we have here is we, we have, we're trying to stop this problem of drugs in the United States, and there's a war on drugs in Colombia, and it succeeds to the effect that, that then those drugs are moved to Mexico, and that, that creates an entirely new series of knockdown dominoes in Mexico. Sam Quiones said on the Econ Talk that the cost of drugs on the street is equal to the dilution times the distance traveled. So as drugs became closer to the United States borders, they actually became cheaper. So this war on drugs pushed down prices, it destabilized parts of Mexico, and it had all of these other knockdown effects. So it's a good reminder that in complex systems like international politics or the drug economy, you can't just do one thing. Seven About the United States, this is what Marshall writes. Quote, If you won the lottery and were looking to buy a country to live in, the first one the real estate agent would show you would be the United States of America. End quote. And the United States of America is an amazing country, it's where I live, but I hadn't really appreciated the advantages of geography that this country has. For one, it's really hard to invade, there's long supply lines, Russia is really hard to invade, as both Hitler and Napoleon found out, but the United States has something even better than than vast stretches of land, it has oceans on, on its east and west coasts. The Mississippi Basin is also a huge advantage. It has more navigable rivers than the rest of the world put together. So all of those waterfalls that they had to deal with in Africa, that's not a problem in the United States. It's very easy to ship goods. And not only that, but at New Orleans, there's a warm water port that via the Gulf of Mexico trade can happen. And so that was a huge advantage for the country that I live in the United States also has a somewhat good enough system for respecting the different cultures that exist in this country. So we talked earlier about the three things that a country needs to exist. The way a government interacts with the people is the same way that two people in any relationship act. You need to provide for one person, whether that's energy or food. You need to protect the other part of the relationship, such as having... Uh, a difficult place to invade, or having strong natural defenses, or strong military defenses. And the third thing was, is can you respect the other person? Prisoners of Geography was a great book. I very much enjoyed it. And if you like these notes, you should definitely give it a read. Thanks for listening.